Uh, I appreciate Brother Shumpert. He was uh, 21 years in West Columbia, South Carolina, a great church, Grace Baptist Church, still going on and doing great things for God. Then he went to BIMI, and, and uh, this, this, this um, month we've been, we're preaching just members that's out of our church. And uh, then I found out Brother Clayton Shumpert was going to be in the area, and so I said, well, he's a member because we've been supporting him as a missionary for 25 years. And so we count him as a member. And, uh, but he was here in 1996, the second year we had this on Wednesday night. We changed it to Tuesday after that so we could still a lot of members from other churches. So we put it on Tuesday night. No, not really. And um, uh, had choirs and stuff. But he preached with Dr. Lee Robinson. He preached with uh, Dr. Raymond Hancock. And he preached with uh, Don Richards. And I was so excited, 139 years combined preaching out of those four preachers. And they were all young then, but Dr. Robinson was young. And, uh, and uh, our guest preacher tonight has been preaching 56 years. And I want to tell you something, friend. I appreciate his testimony that he still wants to preach. Because it would be easy for him just to, uh, with his pain and all the suffering, to say, hey, it's time for me to retire. But I thank God for Brother Shumpert. And it's, a, it's an honor and privilege to have one of our missionaries that's been in the mission work for many, many years since he resigned and his dear wife, Joan. And we just appreciate them so much. You pray for him as he comes and preaches. Amen. It is a joy to be with you once again. Amen. We thank the Lord for a great salvation. Yes. Amen. And we thank you for supporting our ministry all through these years, and Whitfield Baptist Church has been faithful. And I wish to thank you for that. Uh, we've been losing support steadily for three years, and many pastors uh, hear that we were sick for a while. I've had about 20 surgeries all total through the years, but good grief, I didn't die. <laughs> But they heard that I was sick. They quit calling on me to preach. And uh, Brother, Brother Cofield's been preaching 42 years. Uh, God called him and he started out preaching in the nursery. Three babies got under conviction and gave up pacifiers. <laughs> oh my, what a faithful testimony you have. And thank you, church. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, thank uh, Mrs. Pastor, too. And God bless you. I, I know if it hadn't been for my wife, I could not have carried on in the ministry. Uh, you've heard the saying, behind every good man is a good woman. Well, she stayed behind me with a stick. <laughs> Yes, sir. Amen. Um, I wrote a booklet, and I'm giving them away, How to Behave in Church. And uh, I noticed that there's not much said about teaching our young people, especially and older people, too, about behaving in church. And the purpose of coming to church is not like going to Walmart and something like that. Sure. This is the house of God. Brethren, we have met to worship, and uh, you ought to dress right, look right, act right, behave right. Amen. Anyway, it's got errors in it, so it's free. <laughs> I'm going to try to get it fixed, Brother Spence. And uh, I, I was in the ICU uh, with the fourth spine surgery, and I asked the nurse, bring me a pencil and paper, and uh, I was under, under anesthesia still, but I wrote enough words to keep it on my mind. Then when I got uh, out from under the influence, um, I wrote this track, a most memorable teacher. Many churches are using these in hospital visitation. The pastor wanted a thousand sent to him. I forgot where it was. Another pastor called. He wanted a thousand. And you put your name, the name of the church, with a label on the bottom and represent your church. But uh, if somebody is sick or in the hospital, uh, give them a track. 
It tells you what you cannot lose, even though you may be sick. And um, I wrote another one after Princess Diana died, and a man from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, called me about a year ago. He said, I've run out of those Diana tracks, and we're winning people to the Lord. The people of Canada love anything about Princess Diana. They read anything. I said, after all these years? Yes. I said, well, I'm completely out of them, but I'll have 3,000 printed. I'll send you 1,000. We'll give the rest of them out. And people are still being saved in the Winnipeg area all the years after Princess Diana died. And uh, all of these CDs are free of charge. It's not that I'm wealthy. We had a fire in the storage building, and uh, some of them got smudged a little bit from the fire. They still work. If they don't work, call me. I'll send you one that does work. But here is one, two classic messages by Oswald J. Smith. Amen. You ought to have that. And please take it. I'm begging you to take it. And uh, these two sermons by Oswald J. Smith, who pastored a long time in Toronto, Canada, uh, preached those missionary messages. And uh, please remember to pray for Larry Coker. Joan and I have known Larry for a long time. He's uh, very sick. And Stacy, I talked to Chrissy today, and uh, it does not look good for this dear man, 75 to 80 years old, somewhere in there, I would guess. And um, he could go to be with the Lord, I think, at any time. I know he'll go when God calls him, but if you'll jot that name down, Larry Coker... Uh, lives in Ringgold, uh, I know he would appreciate uh, your prayers. <clears throat> there are four purposes in a message. One is to inspire you, hopefully to provoke your will, to inspire you, motivate. Another purpose in a sermon is to instruct you, that's to teach you. And uh, from Genesis to the book of the Revelation, you'll study all of your life learning about God and the things in the Bible. Amen. A third purpose is to correct you. That is not to provoke your will, that's to tan your hide. Now the sheep don't need to be sheared every Sunday. They can't grow wool that fast. But there are times when Bible truth is good for us. And it may be something that is not easy to preach. It's what we might call comfortable truth. The love of God is comfortable truth. But the righteousness of God, the wrath of God is also truth. Bible truth. So it may be to correct you. A fourth reason is to warm your heart, and that is to comfort you. And I pray that God will help me to get a little bit of all four in the message tonight. Thank you for coming. We appreciate so much your faithfulness to be here. And uh, a lot of you have worked hard today, and you're here in the service, and uh, we're very grateful. Joan and I have been married 55 years. Uh, she was three and I was four when we got married. And uh, uh, we thank God for her. We thank God for these years together. The message tonight is about the five nevers. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Thank God, thus saith the Lord. Amen. Now these are not from the president of a country. These are not just the words of a famous politician. 
These are not the words of an intellectual. These are the words of Jehovah God. And here he gave the promise that is so precious to us and what power resides in Hebrews 13, 5. Have you ever thought about the power in it? It slays fear. It's death on doubt. It kills discouragement. It slays laziness. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It gives delight for our soul, strength for our conflicts. What a promise. We collect the sayings of men. Why not collect the promises of God? And Dr. Robertson used to say there's a promise in the Bible for every day of the week and for every day of the year. My, my, what a promise. And you can test this promise. Try it. Put God to the test. Is there any saint here who can say, God failed me? Is there not a thousand souls in this county who would stand up and gloriously say, the Lord never failed me one time? You talk to aged saints, no, it has not happened. God keeps his word. Taste and see that the Lord is good, for there is no want to them that fear him. This promise runs away fear, chases it away. It runs it out of town. The promise chases away doubt and difficulties and devils and gives the child of God such a great and wonderful promise. Now in the English language, two negatives nullify a positive. And uh, it's bad grammar to put two negatives together in a sentence. Like, if you were to say, I can't find my keys nowhere. There are two things wrong with that. It's bad English, bad grammar, and it just ain't so. Those keys are somewhere. What if you were to make a sentence that said, He ain't never told no lies. That's bad grammar. English teacher would get on you. Oh, she would talk to you bad. What if you said that won't do no good? It's double negative. You know better than that. Ain't you got no learning? I ain't never going to that church again. Yeah, that, there are two things wrong with that one, too. It's probably not the church. It's probably not just that grammar. You ought to look in the mirror, maybe. But in the Greek language, and the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, in the Greek language, the negatives strengthen a sentence. The more negatives, the stronger it is. That's true in Spanish. That's true in most of the Romance languages. And so in the Greek language, this verse says, I will never, never leave thee. I'll never, never, never forsake thee. There are five nevers in verse five. And it's like five big nails to drive the nail in the board. Usually we just put two or three. God in this verse puts down five. The illustration is found in a great hymn of ours. How firm a foundation. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul though all hell should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Five of them. And here are five negatives in this scripture. And let's think about first, the first point, an awful condition. Think about what would it be without God? 
He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But what if he did leave us? If the devil, if God left me, the devil would kill me in 15 minutes. But he cannot have me. I belong to Jesus. <laughs> I'm his. The devil better keep his distance. I'm a child of the king. And you are too as a believer. Utter loneliness to be without God. Utterly forsaken. Nobody to love you. Nobody to redeem you. Utter helplessness. Utter friendlessness. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Utter hopelessness. Unutterable agony. If the Lord should forsake us, it gives us the thought of an awful condition. Jesus experienced it on the cross of Calvary, and he lifted his head in torture. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he took upon himself our sins, the sins of the world, and an infinitely holy God could not look upon sin and so God had to turn his back away from his son. And Jesus said, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus went to the cross so you and I would never be forsaken. Amen. And since the moment of our redemption, we have never one time for 30 seconds been lost. We've never been abandoned. We're still the sheep in his flock. And this gives us the thought of such an awful condition. Jesus knew what it was to experience it when he said, I am a worm and no man. You know, in one of our hymn books, there's a song that says something about I'm a worm. The Methodist church 25 years ago took it out of that song. Their hymn book took it out. They said, we're not worms. I'll tell you, were it not for the grace of God, would be in hell. You better leave it in there because we're wretched and blind and poor and helpless without him. And here is the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross with dislocated joints. And they've nailed him to the cross and somebody dug a place for the post into that rock and dirt and with a sickening thud they dropped the cross of Calvary down that hole and no doubt it ripped the joints of the lovely Lord Jesus and the women had gathered what did that do to Mary the mother of Jesus when she heard her son's body being ripped and torn and yet she had to realize that he is my Savior. And not only is he my son, were it not for Jesus on the cross, were it not for my son giving himself for me, I would be without redemption. And so it is with us. Jesus said, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. Thou hast brought me into the darkest of death, utter friendlessness. All of his disciples fled him and left. Judas Iscariot denied him, lied to the Christ, the Messiah, utter hopelessness. Jesus said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, as it were, great drops of blood. And his body was in such torture and stress that drops of perspiration came out as blood. Forsaken. And if God were for to forsake us, we would certainly be in hell without one ray of light, without any hope whatsoever. But this verse of Scripture also gives a gracious promise. I'll never, 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 never leave five times. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Stand on that in this uh, time of 
pandemic in this country. God didn't change the verse just because of Dr. Fauci. God didn't move his word just because uh, of the problems going on in this world. I'm here to tell you, let the communists do what they will. Let the Republicans and the Democrats do what they will. He is still on the throne. He is still God. He still gives the precious promise, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Jesus didn't have to love us. His love kept him on the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he stayed there and died for you and for me. Gracious promise. All the forces of hell cannot undo God's promise. Here it is. And he nails it down. A gracious promise. And then you'll notice there are many repetitions. This promise is found five times in the Bible. And the word never is found five times in verse 5 of Hebrews 13. And you can go back to Deuteronomy and find it in chapter 31. You can find it in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And that's brought up again in Hebrews 13 and verse 5. And it was first brought out in the book of Deuteronomy. I'll never leave you. And there are many repetitions. It's given in Genesis 28, spoken to Jacob. It's given in Deuteronomy 31, spoken to Judah, the people of Judah. It's given to Joshua. I'll never leave you, Joshua. I'll not forsake you, Joshua. It's spoken to David in First Chronicles 28 and verse 20. And in his last moments, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. It's found the fifth time. It's given in Isaiah 41 and verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongues faileth for thirst. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Huh. If he said that in the Old Testament, you think it'll work in the New Testament? Amen. His honor binds him to keep this promise. God cannot lie. Amen. His word keeps him from failing in verse 5. His past record proves that he'll keep his word. The past saints tell us that he'll keep his word. Is there anybody here who can say, well, I'll tell you of a time when God failed me? I doubt it. And if you were to say that, I'd, I'd question your sincerity. I'd say you're mixed up or something. You got confused. His word fails not. Amen. And here it is five times. Do you hear the hammer nailing those five nails down, driving it home? There's no reason why he would abandon us after saving us. It's the word of promise, the scripture. We are his sons. He's not going to abandon his son. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He will not cast us away. Amen. And yes, we're full of sin, wretched, poor, blind, but he found us. There used to be a bumper sticker. Do you remember it? It said, I found it. <laughs> I saw that and I said, thank God I didn't find him. He found me. And saved me and redeemed me and changed me and wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. And by his mercy and his grace, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> he found us just in time. Christ will not divorce his bride. You think he'd break up the marriage? No, there's the backing of his son, the backing of the scriptures, the backing of the saints. And here is the promise right straight out of the word. And there are some wonderful conclusions about this promise. First of all, it brings contentment. Amen. God won't leave me. I might have sickness. 
I've lived with daily pain, chronic pain. I'm not talking about Tylenol pain. For over 25 years now, And not one time has His grace been less than sufficient. Amen. Not, not a time. It's been over a quarter of a century. I'll be honest with you, as a human, I sometimes get weary. And then I open my Bible. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. Thank you, Lord. The mountain shall depart, the hills be removed, but the covenant of his love cannot depart from us, saith the Lord. He hath mercy upon us. His mercies are new every morning. Amen. And by his mercy he carries us through. He'll see you through. You'll come out on the other side. These ladies fix cross stitch and they do sewing and so forth. On one side, it looks like a nice picture, but on the underside, it looks really strange. Oh, they messed up this. No, God sees the true picture, and we might see it all ruffled and shuffled, and, but God sees it the way it ought to be seen. But I want to give some wonderful conclusions to this verse of five nevers. It brings contentment. It gives courage. God is my helper. Why should I fear what man shall do unto me? <laughs> We're on the winning side. Amen. Jesus holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave sure. on his side. He's in control. He has all power. And one day King Jesus is coming and he'll gather his children. We're not orphans. We're going to see him again. Amen. He'll gather us up. He'll sure. take us up. We're going up to meet the Lord in the air. That'll be the rapture of the church. And I'm excited about the millennial reign of Christ. And he'll walk across the valley Kidron and through the eastern gate and sit on the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And he'll make all the crooked places straight and he'll make all the wrong places right. And it'll be a reign of righteousness. It'll be longevity of life. There will be some lost people in the millennium, those who were born in the millennium and hadn't yet been saved. And there will be thousands born in the millennium and they're going to have to turn to the same Christ as you and I did. But listen, for a thousand years the Lord is going to reign. The Bible says he'll come riding with a white horse. And some would say, well, that's just a euphemism. That's a metaphor. It won't really be a horse. I'm telling you, if he wants it to be a white horse, it'll be a white horse. But he's coming back to his own. That's right. Good King Jesus will do what he promised to do. God is my helper. Why? What shall I fear what man shall do unto me? And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the author of this epidemic is not Satan to disturb, to undermine, to try to hurt the people of God, to try to hurt the churches, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Right. You say, well, it came from China. Before that, it came from the devil. He might have used the Chinese. I don't know but whether this one started or that one. He's still King Jesus and he's going to take care of every problem you and I have. Sure. And therefore, this verse of Scripture, some wonderful conclusions. Another one is this. It'll cast off despondency. Get out of that grave of despondency. God didn't save you to live down there. Amen. Let the sun shine in. Amen. Does that mean you won't ever have a bad day? You may have some hard days along the way, but the Lord still reigns supreme. 
He's still God. He'll still do everything that he promised to do. Adoniram Judson had a burden for the people of Burma. It's now called uh, Myanmar. You know that, I'm sure. And Aaron, Adoniram Judson stayed there for 38 years as a missionary. He came home one time in 38 years, and that's not a... Don't read an undertone into that, that you ought to come home only every 38 years. That's not what I'm saying. Burma was an extremely dangerous place. It's a place of no religious toleration. A place of malaria. A place of cholera. When people finally got to where he was, out of Rangoon, they didn't remember his American name. They would say, are you the Jesus man? Because that's what he preached about. Amen. A great, great missionary. He graduated head of his class, Brown University, in 1807. And had a brilliant mind. In 1823, Judson found a beautiful young girl that he loved. Her name was Anne. They got married. He had a total of 13 children by three different wives. Each one died. And when he married Anne, he wrote a letter to her father in the States. Dear sir, will you grant consent for me to marry your daughter? It's a hard place. You may never see her alive again. And he didn't. It's a place that is rugged and hard. And he had experienced a time because Britain invaded Rangoon and all of that area. And they tied him up off the feet off the ground with ropes and he stood there hung there with ropes around his hands he was taken a prisoner by the British but he was an American citizen his wife Anne died and the baby died and then it took him eight months to hear that his father died couldn't get news very fast back in that time. And eight months later, he heard that his gracious old father had died. Anne's father had said in reply to his letter, Anne, I'm going to trust you. You do what you think is the will of God. I don't know Adoniram Judson, but I trust you. If you feel that you can marry him, you have my permission. They proceeded. They got married. And while Judson was hanging with ropes with his feet off the ground, all of the hair fell out of his head due to malnutrition. He was totally bald. He had prayed for his brother to be saved. His brother was wicked. He didn't get the news about his brother until he had sat at an open grave in Burma. Despondent. And if the great Adoniram Judson can get despondent, so can you and I. There is no super saint so close to God that you cannot have moments of discouragement in your life. And if you say, I've never been discouraged, I don't think I ever will, you haven't lived long enough. And they went through persecution and insults and came close to death. But it was a great thing when he married Anne. And it was a hard time 
when Ann died and when their little baby died. Oh, he went through so much. He dug an open grave after that and sat in beside that open grave, despondent. The great missionary Adoniram Judson. And then he got word. Did you know that your brother got saved? God saved him before he died. And Adoniram Judson stood, stood straight up and went back to the work. And it is said that in Burma, 1.9 million souls can be traced back to Adoniram Judson. Oh my, what a man, but what a human man who went through despondency. And I tell you, I'm happy in Jesus. Uh, I'm preserved by the one who is able to keep me from falling. Uh, if you're a child of God, you can say I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me and gave himself for me. My name is for written, uh, forever written in the Lamb's book of life. I have a glorious future. I'm a member of his body. I'm a part of his bride. I'm a branch in his vine. I belong to him. My every need is supplied because of his promises. I'm saved by his grace. I'm kept by his power. Oh, what a Savior who keeps his children and carries them through one problem. His name is wonderful. And to know him is to love him. And to love him is to serve him. And it just makes good sense to let him be your Savior and your Lord. Learn from the honeybee. The honeybee will fly all around and gather up nectar on his little legs and he'll go buy the clover nectar and get some of that. And he'll fly over the meadow and see what the daisy has to offer. And then he'll go down to the morning glory and get some of that liquid fragrance from the morning glory. And then he'll stop back by the peach orchard and get some of that peach fragrance and he'll take it to his little laboratory and mix it all together. And when he puts it all together, I'm telling you, you have some real honey. And Christian, there will be times when you'll need honey for your journey. Amen. And there's honey in the rock. It's in him. Yeah, we'll have our hard days, but there's honey in the rock. He has not changed. He will not change. And when you find out who he is, you'll want to do what he said. And he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> Why don't you start at Abraham's tent and get you some faith? Why don't you visit Moses at Midian and get you some preparation? And why don't you go up to Mount Carmel where Elijah went and get you some fire? And why don't you go to Job's house and get you some patience? And why don't you go by Paul's dungeon and get you a wagon load of determination? And why don't you plow through the Word of God and get some Bible knowledge? And why don't you go to the cross of Calvary and get some Calvary love? And why don't you go into the empty tomb and get some eternal life? Why don't you go somewhere in the secret closet of prayer and mix it all together and you'll come out of there saying, Here am I, Lord, send me. Let me serve you. Lord, I'd be honored to serve you. Did you know that the greatest thing you'll ever do is to help win a sinner to Jesus? Nothing greater. I have friends who are great mechanics. They can listen to the top of the motor and tell you if it's the lifters, the valve guides, so they can hear a crankshaft bearing in the bottom. And uh, they have an ear for that engine. I know some people like my wife. She has perfect pitch. She can sit down there. If she hears a song, she can play it. No music, nothing, just sit down and play it. What key you want it in? She'll put it in your key. 
and uh, she has that. And I studied music when I was six years old, and I did because there was the prettiest little blonde-headed girl that was taking music, and she was also six years old. And I didn't learn anything about music because I was watching her. And then when I got to be a teenager, I went on my own and paid for the lessons on my own. And my mother was proud that I went back and studied. And I know music theory, but I never could get my right hand and my left hand to go together. It's like mercy and grace. They ought to dovetail together. But mine, one hand never got sanctified. And uh, I couldn't get them together. And I'll tell you, uh, you might as well shoot me if you ask me to play a pretty song on that piano. I can't do it. But there are some things I can do. Amen. I can't fly a jet plane, but I can open the Word and help you in worship. We need some eight-cylinder Christians today. V8s. Not like a little pinto. I've got a lawnmower that'll outrun a pinto. A fella came by the other day down the street. I was on the lawnmower, a John Deere lawnmower, amen. And he was in a pinto. I passed him on the third corner. The Lord is the answer. For all of our needs, he writes with a pen that never blots. He speaks with a tongue that never slips. He acts with a hand that never fails. He's never been too busy to help his own. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never forgets. Every hair of our head is numbered. He, his mind is greater than any computer that's ever been known or thought about. Oh, my, what a Savior. He's never been defeated. He cannot fail. He's perfect. He cannot improve. He's already God. He's past, present, future all at the same time. And if you're worried about tomorrow, He's already been there. He's already lived through it. He's already lived through all of this year. And he knows more about the future than he knows about the past because he is almighty God. I've been to the Louvre in Paris. I saw the picture, the famous, world famous picture of the woman and if you walked to this side, her eyes would follow you. If you walked over here, her eyes would follow you. I thought she was demon-possessed. <laughs> the Louvre in Paris. I saw that woman in that picture. I've seen the masterpieces of Michelangelo and da Vinci stood in awe. I touched the toe of the stature of St. Peter. Sure as the world, that piece of granite was walled out where people rubbed his toe. I thought lightning struck me when I reached his toe. I felt convicted. I've seen the sunrise over Galilee. I've seen the rushing waters of Niagara Falls. I've seen the beautiful golden grain fields of the Midwest. I've seen the most beautiful places on the face of this earth. But I've never seen anything greater than the grace of God to reach way down and lift an old sinner and pull him out of the miry clay and set his feet on a solid rock. Nothing greater than a gracious God. 
I've seen mothers rock their babies with pride. I've seen the ceaseless waves roll across the Atlantic and the Pacific. I've seen the towering mountains reach up to the sky, and I thought of God. I've seen the beautiful lily open its dreamy white face as if to say, thank you, Lord. I've seen the lightning flash and heard the thunder roll and knew that there was a mighty God behind it all. But I've never seen anything greater than a righteous, gracious God to bless his people and help his people and guide his people. To lift the fallen sinner, to restore the backslider, to perform wonders in our midst, to make a feeble church triumphant, and to make a defeated saint rejoice and put him back in the thick of the battle. I've seen him produce fruit in the life of a Christian. We had a young man in our church, Gerald Derrick. He stuttered worse than anybody I've ever met. I reached Gerald and his brother. Got his mother coming. Old Gerald Derrick stuttered so bad. And I would speak to him on Sunday, Gerald, how are you? And his whole body would begin to shake, and he had a hard time saying, and I'm not mocking him. But for him to say, fine, it was hard. I quit asking him that. It's hard for him to say, fine. Old Gerald. One Sunday morning, he came to the altar. I'd preached, gave the invitation, and he came, and I knew that God had touched him. I walked to him, put my arms around him. Gerald, tell me why you came today. And I thought it might take a long time, but it didn't. He said, I want to help you in the Lord's work. Great goodness, that's the way to give the preacher a heart attack. <laughs> Better not do much of that. You'll kill him. I said, Gerald, I'll meet with you tomorrow, and I want to answer your question. He became a bus captain. He showed him how to drive the bus, air brakes. He had to learn about the modulator valve, or he could lock it up in the middle of the road and have to have air pressure to release the brakes, and there were a few things. And... He took a bus route, and he couldn't talk good enough to tell the people, where's the church, what kind of church, and all of that. So he took his own money, and he paid for brochures to be printed, nice, colorful brochures. The name of the church, the doctrinal position of the church, where the church was located, and a little map. And uh, the bus will be at your house and a blank where he could write in the time. And he couldn't tell them, so he wrote it all down and had that in the brochure except to write in a couple things. And every Saturday he was faithful. And they knew him. They'd run up to him, Gerald, Mom, this is Gerald. Old Gerald couldn't talk, but he could shake hands. And Gerald Derrick averaged bringing 66 people a Sunday to church. I said to him, Gerald, would you let me visit with you this coming Saturday? God's blessed your ministry and I just want to watch you. We went visiting together. He'd go up to a house. Everybody knew him because he was there every Saturday. And he didn't talk much, handed that brochure, and he's ready to pick up people, and the adults loved him, and the children loved him, and he always had a piece of candy. Thank God for candy on the bus routes. And when we got back to the church after visiting two and a half hours, Gerald, what is the secret of your ministry? And here is his answer. 
The Lord is my shepherd. Is that all? He said that's all it needs to be. The Lord saved me and the Lord is my shepherd. And every Saturday he was out there doing the work. You see it? Doing the job for God. And when the Lord said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, he meant it. Take heart, Christian, take heart. It's the promise of God. And he'll bless you and he'll help you if you'll be faithful to him. I don't know how you might do it, but he'll do it. Be as tough as woodpecker lips in these days. The preacher, Ralph Sexton Sr., out of Asheville, North Carolina, preached on the difference between a pecker wood and a woodpecker, and he talked about the way God made the muscles in a woodpecker's neck. And I've seen sapsuckers and woodpeckers drill a hole. They like certain trees especially. Look like somebody took a rifle went up and down that tree and as that, that woodpecker neck and those muscles working back there if you and I tried that it'd kill us there's no hey there ain't no chiropractor in this state who could fix that But God helped old Gerald to get it done. And God will see you through, church. That's all. I'm not a barnstorming preacher. I don't belong with these great preachers. I'm not in their league at all. But I just wanted to give you a little, a little something on the five nevers of God. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for being good to us. Thank you for loving us. Work in every heart, we pray. Bless tonight as we sing a verse of the invitation song. Move upon every heart. And dear Lord, if there is some child of God here who is despondent, discouraged, help them, I pray. Give them a little honey for the journey. If there's someone here backslidden, a walking, a guilty distance from God, Lord, help them. Bring them back. Put them in the thick of the battle. We need this church. We need every Bible-preaching church in this county. We need every Christian. We need every soldier. We need every saint of God to do your bidding. Bless in the invitation, please, Lord. For Jesus' sake, amen.